0: My name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast "How They Love Mary," a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Followers of my work know that in 2022, I read the mystical city of God by the Venerable Maria of Agreda in an entire year, day by day, 365 readings. When you read four volumes, there's a lot of material that is covered. Back in Lent, I released a reading of the mystical city of God of the passion narrative of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we come up to the nativity of Jesus, what we know as Christmas Day, I thought it would be a beautiful opportunity to revisit the birth of Jesus as found in the mystical city of God. It comes in chapter 10 of book 4, and in the 365-day reading, It was days 151, 152, and 153. Now, if you would like to hear more from before or after the birth of Jesus, I would invite you to head on over to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast and go back to those dates, and you can see the different readings and what comes after and everything like that. So let this be the beginning for you as we Revisit the mystical city of God. I hope you enjoy this Christmas treat as I bring you the mystical city of God on the podcast, How They Love Mary. Today is day number 151. We are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 468 to 475. Chapter 10. Christ, our Savior, is born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, Judah. 4.68 The palace which the Supreme King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had chosen for entertaining His eternal and incarnate Son in this world was a most poor and insignificant hut or cave, to which Most Holy Mary and Joseph betook themselves after they had been denied all hospitality and the Most Ordinary Kindness by their fellow men, as I have described in the foregoing chapter. This place was held in such contempt that though the town of Bethlehem was full of strangers and want of night shelter, none would demean or degrade himself so far as to make use of it for a lodging, for there was none who deemed it suitable or desirable for such a purpose, except the teachers of humility and poverty, Christ our Savior and his purest mother On this account, the wisdom of the Eternal Father had reserved it for them, consecrating it in all its bareness, loneliness, and poverty as the first temple of light, Malachi 4.2, Psalm 111.4, and as the house of the true Son of Justice, which was to arise for the upright of heart from the resplendent Aurora Mary, turning the night of sin into the daylight of grace, 469. "'Most Holy Mary and St. Joseph entered the lodging, "'thus provided for them, "'and by the effulgence of the 10,000 angels of their guard, "'they could easily ascertain its poverty and loneliness, "'which they esteemed as favors "'and welcomed with tears of consolation and joy. "'Without delay, the two holy travelers fell on their knees "'and praised the Lord, giving him thanks for his benefit.' which they knew had been provided by his wisdom for his own hidden designs. Of this mystery, the heavenly Princess Mary had a better insight, for as soon as she sanctified the interior of the cave by her sacred footsteps, she felt a fullness of joy which entirely elevated and vivified her. She besought the Lord to bless with a liberal hand all the inhabitants of the neighboring city, because by rejecting her they had given occasion to the vast favors which she awaited in this neglected cavern. It was formed entirely of the bare and coarse rocks without any natural beauty or artificial adornment, a place intended merely for the shelter of animals. Yet the Eternal Father had selected it for the shelter and dwelling place of his own Son. 4.70 The angelic spirits, who, like a celestial militia, guarded their queen and mistress, formed themselves into cohorts in the manner of court guards in a royal palace. They showed themselves in their visible forms also to St. Joseph, for on this occasion it was befitting that he should enjoy such a favor. On the one hand, in order to assuage his sorrow by allowing him to behold this poor lodging, thus beautified and adorned by the celestial presence, and on the other, in order to enliven and encourage him for the events which the Lord intended to bring about during that night. And in this forsaken place, the great queen and empress, who was already informed of the mystery to be transacted here, set about cleaning with her own hands the cave, which was so soon to serve as a royal throne and sacred mercy seat. For neither did she want to miss this occasion for exercising her humility, nor would she deprive her only begotten son of the worship and reverence implied by this preparation and cleansing of his temple. St. Joseph, mindful of the majesty of his heavenly spouse, which it seemed to him she was forgetting in her ardent longing for humiliation, besought her not to deprive him of this work, which he considered as his alone, and he hastened to set about cleaning the floor and corners of the cave, although the humble queen continued to assist him therein. As the holy angels were then present in visible forms, They were, according to our motive speaking, abashed at such eagerness for humiliation, and they speedily emulated with each other to join in this work, or rather, in order to say it more succinctly, in the shortest time possible they had cleansed and set in order that cave, filling it with holy fragrance. St. Joseph started a fire with the material which he had brought for that purpose. As it was very cold, they sat at the fire in order to get warm. They partook of the food which they had brought, and they ate this, their frugal supper, with incomparable joy of their souls. The Queen of Heaven was so absorbed and taken up with the thought of the impending mystery of her divine delivery, that she would not have partaken of food if she had not been urged thereto by obedience to her spouse. 4.72 After supper they gave thanks to the Lord as was their custom. Having spent a short time in this prayer and conferring about the mysteries of the Incarnate Word, the most prudent virgin felt the approach of the most blessed birth. She requested her spouse, St. Joseph, to betake himself to rest and sleep as night was already far advanced. The man of God yielded to the request of his spouse and urged her to do the same. And for this purpose he arranged and prepared a sort of couch with the articles of wear in their possession— making use of a crib or manger that had been left by the shepherds for their animals. Leaving Most Holy Mary in the portion of the cave thus furnished, St. Joseph retired to a corner of the entrance, where he began to pray. He was immediately visited by the Divine Spirit and felt a most sweet and extraordinary influence, by which he was wrapped and elevated into ecstasy. In it was shown him all that passed during that night in that blessed cave, for he did not return to consciousness until his heavenly spouse called him. Such was the sleep which St. Joseph enjoyed in that night, more exalted and blessed than that of Adam in paradise. Genesis twenty-one two, four seventy-three. 4.73 The queen of all creatures was called from her resting place by a loud voice of the Most High, which was strongly and sweetly raised her above all created things, and caused her to feel new effects of divine power, for this was one of the most singular and admirable ecstasies of her most holy life. Immediately also, she was filled with new enlightenment and divine influences, such as I have described in other places, until she reached the clear vision of the divinity. The veil fell, and she saw intuitively the Godhead. Instead, in such glory and plenitude of insight— as all the capacity of men and angels cannot describe or fully understand. All the knowledge of the divinity and humanity of her Most Holy Son, which she had ever received in former visions, was renewed. And moreover, other secrets of the inexhaustible archives of the bosom of God were revealed to her, I have not ideas or words sufficient and adequate for expressing what I have been allowed to see of these sacraments by the divine light, and their abundance and multiplicity convince me of the poverty and want of proper expression in created language. 4.74 The Most High announced to his virgin mother that the time of his coming into the world had arrived, and what would be the manner in which this was now to be fulfilled and executed, the most prudent lady perceived in this vision the purpose and exalted scope of these wonderful mysteries and sacraments, as well in so far as related to the Lord himself, as also in so far as they concerned creatures for whose benefit they had been primarily decreed. she prostrated herself before the throne of his divinity and gave him glory, magnificence, thanks, and praise for herself and for all creatures, such as was befitting the ineffable mercy and condescension of his divine love. At the same time she asked of the divine majesty new light and grace, in order to be able worthily to undertake the service and worship and the rearing of the word made flesh, whom she was to bear in her arms and nourish with her virginal milk. This petition of the Heavenly Mother brought forward with the profoundest humility as one who understood the greatness of this new sacrament. She held herself unworthy of the office of rearing up and conversing as a mother with a God incarnate, of which even the highest seraphim are incapable. Prudently and humbly did the Mother of Wisdom ponder and weigh this matter. And because she humbled herself to the dust and acknowledged her nothingness in the presence of the Almighty, Therefore His Majesty raised her up and confirmed anew upon her the title of Mother of God. He commanded her to exercise this office and ministry of a legitimate and true mother of himself, that she should treat him as the son of the Eternal Father, and at the same time the son of her womb. All this could be easily entrusted to such a mother, in whom was contained an excellence that words cannot express. 475. The Most Holy Mary remained in this ecstasy and beatific vision for over an hour, immediately preceding her divine delivery. At that moment, when she issued from it and regained the use of her senses, she felt and saw that the body of the infant God began to move in her virginal womb. How releasing and freeing himself from the place, which in the course of nature he had occupied for nine months, he now prepared to issue forth from the sacred bridal chamber. This movement not only did not cause any pain or hardship, as happens with the other daughters of Adam and Eve in their childbirths, but filled her with incomparable joy and delight, causing in her soul and in her virginal body such exalted and divine effects that they exceed all thoughts of men. Her body became so spiritualized with the beauty of heaven that she seemed no more a human and earthly creature. Her countenance emitted rays of light like a sun incarnadined, and shown an indescribable earnestness and majesty, all inflamed with fervent love. She was kneeling in the manger, her eyes raised to heaven, her hands joined and folded at her breast, her soul wrapped in the divinity, and she herself was entirely deified. In this position, and at the end of the heavenly rapture, the Most Exalted Lady gave to the world the only begotten of the Father, and her own Son, our Savior Jesus true God and true man, at the hour of midnight on a Sunday in the year of the creation of the world, 5199, which is the date given in the Roman Church, and which date has been manifested to me as the true and certain one. This concludes our reading today for day number 151. We have been reading from volume 2, Book 4, chapter 10, paragraphs 468 to 475. I'm reminded of the words we read on Christmas Day. This is how the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ came about. And then the evangelist recounts the events. And so that's what we get today, kind of a play-by-play of, as they're in the cave, what happens? Well, they ate first. That's one of the things they did. And, noticeably, after they ate, after their supper, they gave thanks to the Lord, as was their custom. We have our before-meal prayers, but did you know there are after-meal prayers? We give you thanks, Almighty oh God, for these and all thy many benefits, who livest and reignest world without end. Amen. May the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. And so it's fitting, also at the end of a meal, to give thanks to God for what one has received, for how one has been nourished at that time. Even as Mary is so close to delivery, she doesn't forget to pray after her meal. Well, St. Joseph tells Mary that she needs to rest, and he prays then before bed. Joseph retired to a corner of the entrance where he began to pray and then he was immediately visited by the divine spirit, and then that divine spirit showered different graces upon him to pray before going to bed. These are good moments for us to pray. When we pray before bed, we again thank God for the day we entrust tomorrow to him. Perhaps we Share with the Lord our worries, our burdens, our sorrows, but also the joys of our life. Then Mary, when she awakes, she gives praise to God. And so it says that she prostrated herself before the throne of the divinity and gave him glory, magnificence, thanks, and praise for herself and for all creatures such as was befitting the ineffable mercy and condescension of his divine love. So Mary is praising God in our name, in the name of all of creation. Mary is praising for us and with us because she knows that Christ our Lord is going to come forth. She has this vision that takes place then, and then Jesus is born. As we finished paragraph 475, it's like watching a TV show at the very end and it says, to be continued, because we will learn of more happenings as we make our way through this chapter of the mystical city of God. Today is day number 152. We are reading from volume 2, book 4, chapter 10, paragraphs 476 to 481. 476. There are other wonderful circumstances and particulars, which all the faithful assume to have miraculously accompanied this most divine birth. But as the only witnesses were the Queen of Heaven and her courtiers, they cannot all be certified, except only those which the Lord himself manifests in his holy church, to all or to some particular souls in diverse ways. As I think there is some divergence of opinion in this matter, which is most sublime and venerable. As soon as I had manifested to my superiors and directors what had been made known to me, they commanded me under obedience to consult anew the divine oracle and ask the Empress of Heaven, my Mother and Teacher, and the holy angels that attend on me, for information on some particulars necessary for a clearer statement of the most sacred parturition of Mary, the Mother of Jesus, our Redeemer. In order to comply with this command, I returned for a better understanding of these same happenings. It was then expounded to me in the following manner, 477. At the end of the beatific rapture and vision of the mother, ever virgin, which I have described above, number 473, was born the Son of Justice, the only begotten of the Eternal Father, and of Mary most pure, beautiful, refulgent, and immaculate, leaving her untouched in her virginal integrity and purity, and making her more godlike and forever sacred. For he did not divide but penetrated the virginal chamber as the rays of the sun penetrate the crystal shrine, lighting it up in prismatic beauty. Before I describe the miraculous manner in which this took place, I wish to say that the divine child was born pure and disengaged, without the protecting shield called secundina, surrounded by which other children are commonly born, and in which they are enveloped in the wombs of their mothers, I will not detain myself in explaining the cause and origin of the error, which is contrary to this statement. It is enough to know and suppose that in the generation and birth of the Incarnate Word, the arm of the Almighty selected and made use of all that substantially and unavoidably belonged to natural human generation, so that the Word could truly call himself conceived and engendered as a true man and born of the substance of his mother, Ever-Virgin." In regard to the other circumstances, which are not essential, but accidental to generation and nativity, we must disconnect our ideas of Christ our Lord and of the Most Holy Mary, not only from all that are in any way related or consequent upon any sin, original or actual, but also from many others which are not necessary for the essential reality of the generation of birth, and which imply some impurity or superfluity that could in any way lessen or impair the dignity of Mary as the Queen of Heaven and as true Mother of Christ our Lord. For many such imperfections of sin or nature were not necessary either for the true humanity of Christ or for his office of Redeemer or Teacher, and whatever was not necessary. For these three ends and whatever by its absence would redound to the greater dignity of Christ and his Mother must be denied of both. Nor must we be negardly in presuming wonderful intervention of the author of nature and grace, in favor of her who was his worthy mother, prepared, adorned, and made increasingly beautiful, for this purpose, for the divine right had enriched her at all times, with gifts and graces, and reached the utmost limits of the omnipotence possible in regard to a mere creature. 478. In accordance with this truth, her true motherhood was not impaired by her remaining a virgin in his conception and birth through operation of the Holy Ghost. Although she could have lost her virginity in a natural manner without incurring any fault, yet in that same case the Mother of God would also be without this singular prerogative of virginity. Therefore, we must say, in order that she might not be without it, the divine power of her Most Holy Son preserved it for her. Likewise, the divine child could have been born with this covering or cuticle in which others are born. Yet this was not necessary in order to be born natural son of the Blessed Mother. Hence, he could choose not to take it forth with him from the virginal and maternal womb, just as he chose not to pay to nature other penal tributes of impurity, which other human beings do pay at the coming into the light. It was not just that the incarnate word should be subject to all the laws of the sons of Adam, but it was consequent upon his miraculous birth that he be exempt and free from all that could be caused by the corruption or uncleanness of matter. Thus also this covering or secundina was not to fall a prey to corruption outside the virginal womb, because it had been so closely connected and attached to his most holy body, and because it was composed of the blood and substance of his mother. In like manner, it was not advisable to keep and preserve it outside of her, nor was it becoming to give it the same privileges and importance as to his divine body in coming forth from the body of his most holy mother, as I will yet explain. The wonder which would have to be wrought to dispose of that sacred covering outside of the womb could be wrought much more appropriately within. 479. The infant God, therefore, was brought forth from the virginal chamber, unencumbered by any corporeal or material substance foreign to himself. But he came forth glorious and transfigured for the divine and infinite wisdom, decreed and ordained that the glory of his most holy soul should in his birth overflow and communicate itself to his body, participating in the gifts of glory in the same way as happened afterwards in his transfiguration on Mount Tabor in the presence of the apostles Matthew 17:2 This miracle was not necessary in order to penetrate the virginal enclosure and to leave unimpaired the virginal integrity for without this transfiguration God could have brought this about by other miracles thus say the holy doctors who see no other miracle in this birth than that the child was born without impairing the virginity of the mother It was the will of God that the Most Blessed Virgin should take upon the body of her son, the God-man, for this first time in a glorified state for two reasons. The one was in order that by this divine vision the Most Prudent Mother should conceive the highest reverence for the majesty of him whom she was to treat as her son and the true God-man. Although she was already informed of his twofold nature, the Lord nevertheless ordained that by ocular demonstration she be filled with new graces corresponding to the greatness of her Most Holy Son, which was thus manifested to her in a visible manner. The second reason was to reward by this wonder the fidelity and holiness of the Divine Mother, for her most pure and most chaste eyes that had turned away from all earthly things for love of her Most Holy Son were to see him at his very birth in this glory and thus be rejoiced and rewarded for her loyalty and beautiful love. 4.80 The sacred evangelist Luke tells us that the mother virgin, having brought forth her first begotten son, wrapped him in swathing clothes and placed him in a manger. He does not say that she received him in her arms from her virginal womb, for this did not pertain to the purpose of this narrative. But the two sovereign princes, St. Michael and St. Gabriel, were the assistants of the virgin on this occasion. They stood by at proper distance in human corporeal forms at that moment when the incarnate word penetrating the virginal chamber by divine power issued forth to the light, and they received him in their hands with ineffable reverence. In the same manner as a priest exhibits the sacred host to the people for adoration, so these two celestial ministers presented to the divine mother her glorious and refulgent son. All this happened in a short space of time. In the same moment in which the holy angels thus presented the divine child to his mother, both son and mother looked up upon each other. And in this look she wounded with love the sweet infant, and was at the same time exalted and transformed in him. From the arms of the holy princess, the prince of all the heavens, spoke to his holy mother, "'Mother, become like unto me, since on this day for the human existence,' which thou hast today given me, I will give thee another more exalted existence in grace, assimilating thy existence as a mere creature to the likeness of me who am God and man. The most prudent mother answered, Trahe me poste, curemus in odoram ugectorum tuorum. Canticle One Three. Raise me, elevate me, Lord, and I will run after thee in the order in the odour of thy ointments. In the same way many of the hidden mysteries of the canticles were fulfilled, and other sayings which passed between the infant God and the Virgin Mother, had been recorded in the Book of Songs, as for instance, my beloved, to me and I to him, and for his desire is toward me. Canticle two sixteen. Behold, thou art beautiful my friend, and thy eyes are dove's eyes. Behold, my beloved, for thou art beautiful, and many other sacramental words which to mention would unduly prolong this chapter. 481. The words which Most Holy Mary heard from the mouth of her Most Holy Son served to make her understand at the same time the interior acts of his holiest soul, united with the divinity, in order that by imitating them she might become like unto him. This was one of the greatest blessings, which the Most Faithful and Fortunate Mother received at the hands of her son, the truest God and man, not only because it was continued from that day on through all her life, but because it furnished her the means of copying his own divine life as faithfully as was possible to a mere creature. At the same time, the heavenly lady perceived and felt the presence of the most holy trinity, and she heard the voice of the eternal father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am greatly pleased and delighted. Matthew seventeen five. The most prudent mother made entirely godlike in the overflow of so many sacraments answered, Eternal Father, and exalted God, Lord and creator of the universe, give me anew thy permission and benediction to receive in my arms the desired of nations, and teach me to fulfill as thy worthy mother and lowly slave thy holy will. Immediately she heard a voice which said, Receive thy only begotten Son, imitate him and rear him, And remember that thou must sacrifice him when I shall demand it of thee. The Divine Mother answered, Behold, the creature of thy hands, adorn me with thy grace, so that thy son and my God receive me for his slave. And if thou wilt come to my aid with thy omnipotence, I shall be faithful in his service. And do thou count it no presumption in thy insignificant creature, that she bear in her arms and nourish at her breast her own Lord, and creator. This concludes our reading today for day number 152. We have been reading from volume two, book four, chapter 10, paragraphs 476 to 481. We continue to hear about the virgin birth today, and I know that this is one of those questions that people always have because the movie The Nativity Story or because the chosen Christmas specials showed Mary in pain while in childbirth. And this is a great question for us to consider. And we have to understand our Catholic position and our Catholic position is that Mary did not undergo pain in childbirth, that she remained a virgin before, during and after, and that St. Thomas Aquinas taught that pain was a consequent of original sin when giving birth. Now, Genesis does say that the pain of childbirth will be intensified, but we believe that Mary was without pain and that she brought forth the child remaining a virgin after as before. The teaching about Mary's virginity, she's a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. The church teaches this, but what the church doesn't teach or explain is kind of the biological process by which this would have taken place. So there are questions that one has. Well, what does the virgin birth look like? People were discussing this back in the mid-1900s, and the church became a bit perturbed by this. And so they issued an interdict saying that you can no longer talk about the biological nature of the birth of Christ and the Virginitas in part two of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we know our Catholic faith. When we see a movie like The Nativity or The Chosen and they show Mary in pain, we have to understand that the creator of those films do not necessarily espouse the Catholic belief that they are Protestants and so they have a wrong belief about this. And so they're going to portray it from their Protestant perspective. We simply know how it is that Mary gave birth. How is it then that Mary gave birth to the Christ child? Well, it seems that Maria of tells us today that two angels, Michael and Gabriel, presented the Christ child to the Virgin Mary. One of the ways that the church fathers often thought about this question was by thinking of the resurrection, and Jesus passing through the locked doors of the upper room. And in his birth, he passes through the locked gates, the virginal gates of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that is one way we can think about how Christ comes forth and then is placed in the arms of the Blessed Virgin One could not call Mary ever virgin if she didn't remain a virgin during the birth of Christ. Now, secondly, I think it's important to note how our reading ended today. The very last sentence. And do thou count it no presumption in thy insignificant creature that she bear in her arms and nourish at her breast her own Lord And creator. Again, I want us to think about creation, and this comes from one of the great Marian antiphons. Loving Mother of the Redeemer, gate of heaven, star of the sea, assist your people who have fallen, yet strive to rise again. To the wonderment of nature, you bore your creator, and yet remained a virgin after as before. To the wonderment of nature, you bore your creator. Jesus participated in the act of creation. Jesus, as the second person of the Blessed Trinity, always existed with God. And so Jesus does create with the Father and the Holy Spirit. It is now in the birth to Mary that Christ takes on flesh, that the God invisible now becomes visible to us. And that is why we can say that Mary nourished at her breast her own Lord and Creator, for Jesus was a person of the Blessed Trinity involved in the act of creation. Today is day number 153, and we are reading from Book 2, Volume 4, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 482 to 488. Four eighty-two. After this interchange of words so full of mysteries, the Divine Child suspended the miracle of his transfiguration, Or rather, he inaugurated the other miracle, that of suspending the effects of glory in his most holy body, confining them solely to his soul. And he now assumed the appearance of one capable of suffering. In this form the most pure mother now saw him, and still remaining in a kneeling position, and adoring him with profound humility and reverence, she received him in her arms from the hands of the holy angels, and when she saw him in her arms, she spoke to him and said, My sweetest love, and light of my eyes, and being of my soul, thou hast arrived in good hour into this world as the Son of Justice, Malachi 4 2. In order to disperse the darkness of sin and death, true God of the true God, save thy servants, and let all flesh see him who shall draw upon it salvation, Isaiah 9 2. Receive me, thy servant, as thy slave, and supply my deficiency in order that I may properly serve thee. Make me, my son, such as thou desirest me to be in thy service. Then the most prudent mother turned toward the Eternal Father to offer up to him his only begotten, saying, Exalted creator of all the universe, here is the altar and the sacrifice acceptable in thy eyes. Malachi 3.4 From this hour on, O Lord, look upon the human race with mercy, and inasmuch as we have deserved thy anger, it is now time that thou be appeased in thy son and mine. Let thy justice now come to rest, and let thy mercy be exalted. For on this account the word has clothed itself in the semblance of sinful flesh, Romans 8.2, and became a brother of mortals and sinners, Philippians 2.7. In this title I recognize them as brothers, and I intercede for them from my inmost soul. Thou, Lord, hast made me the mother of thy only begotten without my merit, since this dignity is above all merit of a creature. But I partly owe to men the occasion of the incomparable good fortune, since it is on their account that I am the mother of the word made man and redeemer of them all. I will not deny them my love or remit my care and watchfulness for their salvation. Receive, eternal God, my wishes and petitions for that which is according to thy pleasure and good will. 483. The Mother of Mercy turned also toward all mortals and addressed them, saying, Be consoled, ye afflicted, and rejoice, ye disconsolate. Be raised up, ye fallen. Come to rest, ye uneasy. Let the just be gladdened, and the saints be rejoiced. Let the heavenly spirits break out in new jubilee, let the prophets and the patriarchs of limbo draw new hope, and let the generations praise and magnify the Lord who renews his wonders. Come, come ye poor, approach ye little ones without fear, for in my arms I bear the lion made a lamb. The Almighty become weak, the invincible subdued, come to draw life. Hasten to obtain salvation, approach to gain eternal rest, since I have all this for all, and it will be given to you freely and communicated to you without envy. Do not be slow and heavy of heart, ye sons of men, and thou, O sweetest joy of my soul, give me permission to receive from thee that kiss desired by all creatures. Therewith the most blessed mother applied her most chaste and heavenly lips in order to receive the loving caresses of the divine child, who, on his part, as her true son, had desired them from her. 484. Holding him in her arms, she thus served as the altar and the sanctuary, where the ten thousand angels adored in visible human forms their Creator incarnate. And as the most blessed Trinity assisted in an especial manner at the birth of the Word, heaven was, as it were, emptied of its inhabitants, for the whole heavenly court had betaken itself to the blessed cave of Bethlehem and was adoring the Creator in his garb and habit of a pilgrim. Philippians 2.7 And in their concert of praise, the holy angels intoned the new canticle, Gloria in excelsis Deo, et intera paxum minibus bone voluntatis. Luke 2.14 In sweetest and sonorous harmony, they repeated it, transfixed in wonder at the new miracles, then being fulfilled at the unspeakable prudence, grace, humility, and beauty of that tender maiden of fifteen years, who had become the worthy trustee and minister of such vast and magnificent sacraments. 485. It was now time to call St. Joseph, the faithful spouse of the most discreet and attentive lady, as I have said above, number 472. He was rapt in ecstasy, in which he was informed by divine revelation of all the mysteries of the sacred birth during this night. But it was becoming that he should see, and before all other mortals should, in his corporeal faculties and senses, be present and experience, adore, and reverence the word made flesh. For he of all others had been chosen to act as the faithful warden of this great sacrament. At the desire of his heavenly spouse, he issued from his ecstasy, and on being restored to consciousness, the first sight of his eyes was the divine child in the arms of the Virgin, mother, reclining against her sacred countenance and breast. There he adored him in profoundest humility and in tears of joy. He kissed his feet in great joy and admiration, which no doubt would have taken away and destroyed life in him, if divine power had not preserved it and he certainly would have not lost all the use of his senses if the occasion had permitted. When St. Joseph had begun to adore the child, the most prudent mother asked, Leave of her son to arise, for until then she had remained on her knees. And while St. Joseph handed her the wrappings and swaddling clothes which she brought, she clothed him with incomparable reverence, devotion, and tenderness. Having thus swathed and clothed him, his mother, with heavenly wisdom, laid him in the crib, as related by St. Luke, Luke 2.7. For this purpose, she had arranged some straw and hay upon a stone, in order to prepare for the God-man his first resting place upon earth, next to that which he had found in her arms. According to divine ordainment, an ox from the neighboring fields ran up in great haste, and entering the cave, chose the beast of burden brought by the queen. The Blessed Mother commanded them, with what show of reverence was possible to them, to acknowledge and adore their Creator. The humble animals obeyed their mistress and prostrated themselves before the child, warming him with their breath and rendering him the service refused by men. And thus the God-made man was placed between two animals, wrapped in swaddling clothes and wonderfully fulfilling the prophecy, that the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel hath not known me, and my people hath not understood. Teaching of the Most Holy Queen Mary 486 My daughter, if men would keep their hearts disengaged, and if they would rightly and worthily consider this great sacrament of the kindness of the Most High towards men, it would be a powerful means of conducting them in the pathway of life and subjecting them to the love of their Creator and Redeemer. For as men are capable of reasoning, if they would only make use of their freedom to treat this sacrament with the reverence due to its greatness, who would be so hardened as not to be moved to tenderness at the sight of their God become man, humiliated in poverty, despised, unknown, entering the world in a cave, lying in a manger, surrounded by brute animals, protected only by a poverty-stricken mother, and cast off by the foolish arrogance of the world? Who will dare to love the vanity and pride which was openly abhorred and condemned by the creator of heaven and earth in his conduct? No one can despise the humility, poverty, and indigence which the Lord loved and chose for himself as the very means of teaching the way of eternal life. Few there are who sh- stop to consider this truth and example, and account of this vile ingratitude, only the few will reap the fruit of these great sacraments. 487. But if the condescension of my Most Holy Son was so great as to bestow so liberally upon thee his light and knowledge concerning the vast blessings, ponder well how much thou art bound to cooperate with this light, in order that thou mayest correspond to this obligation. I remind and exhort thee to forget all that is of the earth, and lose it out of thy sight, that thou seek nothing, or engage thyself with nothing, except what can help thee to withdraw and detach thee from the world and its inhabitants, so that with a heart freed from all terrestrial affection, thou dispose thyself to celebrate it, the mysteries of the poverty, humility, and divine love of the incarnate God. Learn from my example the reverence, fear, and respect with which thou must treat him, remembering how I acted when I held him in my arms, Follow my example whenever thou receivest him in thy heart, in the venerable sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, wherein is contained the same God-man who was born of my womb. In this holy sacrament thou receivest him and possessest him, just as really, and he remains in thee, just as actually, as I possessed him and conversed with him, although in another manner. 4.88 I desire that thou go even to extremes in this holy reverence and fear. I wish that thou take notice and be convinced that in entering into thy heart, in thy holy sacrament, thy God exhorts thee in the same words which thou hast recorded as spoken to me. Become like unto me. His coming down from heaven unto the earth, his being born in humility and poverty, his living and dying in it, giving such rare example of the contempt of the world and its deceits, the knowledge which thou hast received concerning his conduct, and which thou hast penetrated so deeply by divine intelligence, all these things should be for thee like living voices, which thou must heed and inscribe in the interior of thy heart. These privileges have all been granted to thee in order that thou discreetly use the common blessings to their fullest extent, and in order that thou mayest understand how thankful thou must be to my most holy Son and Lord, and how thou shouldst strive to make us a great return for his goodness, as if he had come from heaven to redeem thee alone, and as if he had instituted all his wonders and doctrines in the Holy Church for none else than thee. Galatians 7.20. This concludes our reading today for day number 153. We've been reading from volume 2, book 4, chapter 10, paragraphs 482 to 488. There's something just beautiful about picturing the Blessed Virgin Mary tenderly serving her son Jesus, clothing him, laying him in the manger, taking him in her arms, her speaking to the Christ child. It is in the incarnation that Jesus, who is in her womb, invisible to her, now has become visible and present. She is able to see, able to adore the face of God, that God who was hidden for nine months in the womb now is visible to all to Joseph, and to Mary. Our reading concluded today with this very beautiful line. These privileges have all been granted to thee in order that thou discreetly use the common blessings to their fullest extent and in order that thou may understand how thankful thou must be to my holy Son and Lord and how thou should strive to make as great a return for his goodness as he had come from heaven to redeem thee alone and as if he had instituted all his wonders and doctrines in the Holy Church for none else than thee. It's a reminder to us that Jesus would have came just for you. He would have came just for me. He came for all mankind, but he came for all of us. And as he's born, he's born to die. Born to set men free. He came to set you free from the snares of sin and death. He came to set me free from sin and death. Maybe one of the things as we think of Mary with the Christ child, maybe you want to find an image today. Maybe you have a picture in your home of Mary with the Christ child and just spend a few moments looking at that image and thanking God for what he has accomplished in the mystery of the incarnation of God becoming man, of Mary becoming the mother of the word incarnate. Thank God for Mary. Thank God for Jesus, who came to be our savior.